Colossians chapter three. Um, I mentioned earlier I don't I don't typically do like themed sermons, but it is New Year, uh, the New Year, and just so happens that it falls on a Sunday, so we won't be in Genesis today. And I do want to give uh, another thing that I don't typically do is a three point sermon. Uh, but, uh, I guess I'll do my impersonation of a good Baptist, a good Baptist preacher today. So I got three points for you today. I have a three point sermon, right? Um, so from Colossians three, we're going to consider, um, we're going to work almost through the entire chapter, but I want us to consider, uh, I hope this will help you, uh, remember this and it'll be an easy way to, uh, in the days ahead to consider this, uh, to, to ponder these truths that we discussed this morning from Colossians chapter three. So look up, look in and look around. Oh, PCC would be so proud of me. PCC is where I went to college. And when we, when we had our little class, you had to have points and they had to be, they had to sound similar. They either had to be alliterated, they'll start with the same letter or they had to be themes. So, Look up, look in, look around. I would make a hundred on this sermon just based upon that. Um, so, look up, look in, look around. So, what we're really going to consider is if you are in the habit, if you're one of the people that every new year when it rolls around, you make your resolutions and you say, I'm going to start this or I'm going to implement this or oh, in the new year, I'm going to try to whatever fill in the blank lose weight a lot of times is the most popular thing that people try to do in the new year um or i guess if you use reverse psychology since most people give up on their new year's resolutions three to four months in you could say well i'm going to try to gain weight this year and since most people go backwards and they fail to meet their goals if you say well, i'm going to gain weight you might end up losing weight and you can use reverse psychology on yourself but i digress okay if you're in the habit of doing that Good for you. There's nothing wrong with saying that we want to implement new things in the new year. And of course, on the new calendar year, that's a really good place to say, okay, well, now is as good a time as any. We got a fresh start, got a clean state, a clean slate, a whole new year to look forward to. As a believer, there are so many things in the life of the believer that we should take great joy and great comfort and we should find great peace in knowing that things within the Christian life are unchanging, need no resolution, need no additions or any subtractions. They simply are. Namely, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Um, we can take, we can find great joy and we can take great comfort in knowing that that is an unchanging Truth, And there's no resolution needed now or at any time in the future. And there never has been a need for a resolution or a change or an addition to any of that. We can rejoice that Christ is who he says he is and that his work upon the cross is finished. And we can rest in that. Ultimately, we know that God in his fullness, Father, Son, and Spirit, that he is an unchanging God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, we can rest and we can find confidence in His promises. We know that He will 
fulfill and he will keep his word and he will fulfill those promises and we can rest in that and we can find great joy and great comfort and peace in those things. But what about us? What about our day-to-day lives? Perhaps you've already resolved within yourself that you will, okay, in 2023, I am going to walk closely with God or I'm going to read the Bible in its entirety, maybe for the first time, or I'm going to commit 30 minutes a day to uninterrupted prayer. Maybe you've already made some spiritual goals, but there are some things within the Christian life that ought to just be there. They ought to be constants. They ought to be the normal everyday lifestyle of a Christian. And we're going to look at three things today, starting with look up. Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. One of the greatest encouragements and exhortations that I can give you and, and vice versa that you could ever give me is a daily reminder to look up. Set your minds on things above. Because for the Christian, Christ is... Our life. Our hearts and our minds, our thoughts and our affections should not be overtaken and and consumed with the things of this world. Even things that we would say, well, that's a blessing. That's a good thing. We still should not set our minds and set our affections on those things. What we should do each and every day Is remind ourselves that Christ, the perfect Son of God, Christ the Lord, Christ our Savior, that when He died upon that cross, what He did was purchase our redemption. He atoned for our sins. He paid the penalty. He absorbed the wrath of God for us so that we would never taste the wrath Of a holy God. And that he conquered sin and death. So that we may live. Therefore our life is in him. Our existence. Everything about our existence. Should be to glorify and honor him. Our life should be a life of thanksgiving. Our life should be a life of worship. Because we understand. What a great price was paid. To purchase our Redemption. Each and every day when we wake up. We should say today. Let me set my mind on things above. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. And with that comes a reminder. What is Christ doing at the right hand of the Father? Is He just sitting there waiting? Is He just sitting idly by? Or is He rather interceding for the saints? 
interceding on our behalf. And in that, we rejoice that each and every day when we wake up, we know that even still, Christ has not only saved us, Christ has not set us, has not only set us free from sin, Christ has not only purchased our redemption, Christ is not only risen so that we can have eternal life, He is seated at the right hand of the Father and even still intercedes on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. Waiting until all enemies are made His footstool, put underneath Him. In verse 3, Paul says something. And I often like to pose this as a question to myself and to others. It's not posed as a question. I'm going to read verse 3 first. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And it's that first little section there. Paul says, for you have died. And I often like to pose that as a question. Ask yourself. And I ought to ask myself, has there been a time where the old man, where I have died? Where Caleb Folsom died, crucified with Christ, raised to walk in newness and life, and therefore, from that day forward, the life that I, the life that I now live, it's not me, but Christ that liveth in me. Has there been a day where you can say, that was the day I died. Where self, slavery to sin, all of those things, the way in which I once walked, dead. Chapter 3 starts with Paul saying, if indeed you have been risen with Christ. That's a big if. If. If you have not been risen with Christ, then none of what we're going to talk about today directly applies to you. You are outside of the body of Christ, still yet in need of salvation. And the glorious, the glorious truth that goes, along, uh, that goes alongside that is this. All who believe will be saved. Repent and believe. But for those of us who would say, I know that I'm saved, I consider myself a Christian... I know that I'm a child of God. Ask yourself, have you died? And if you say, well, I know that I'm a child of God. I know that I've been born again. Then you would have to say, well, yeah, I died. Have we contemplated what that means? Have we considered the gravity or the weight of all of that? Have we truly considered what it is to Pick up our cross and follow Him. Have we considered what it is to die to self? At times, even as a believer, we are tempted to go our own way and to pursue our own desires. We are tempted once again to say, well, this is what I would have rather than this is what God would have. If we are able to say that we have died, and it is true, we must understand that that death is a blessed gift. For us to be able to say that, yes, indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. But that is a gift. That not everyone receives. 
If God in His grace and in His mercy has raised us up in Christ Jesus, not just crucified with Him, but risen that we may have eternal life. That is a gift we did not merit. That is a gift we did not deserve. That is wholly the mercy and the grace of God. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Consider that. If our life is in Christ, Christ is eternal. Therefore, we have eternal life. And that is the gift of God through Jesus Christ. Each and every day we ought to set our minds, set our focus, our sights upon this once more. Set our hearts and minds upon Christ each and every day. And if we are not in the habit of doing that, then on this New Year's Day, if you would like to add a resolution, or if you don't have any resolutions, but you say, hey, that sounds like a pretty good one, I think I would like to be mindful to remind myself each and every day that my mind and my heart and my aim ought to be on Christ and Him alone. Not just because Caleb's saying it, but because it's here in Scripture, because it's biblical, then I would say, yeah, that would be a good one to add to your resolution list. That would be a good thing for every Christian to implement if we are not already in the habit of setting our minds on things above and not on things of this earth, then yes, that would be a great resolution. That would be a great change to make in the new year. So often, Christians, just like everybody else in the world, we get so consumed with things we have to do, business plans, family plans, where are we going to schedule this? Where are we going to schedule that? And at the end of the day, or better put, at the end of our lives, ultimately, it's not really going to matter if our business plans failed or succeeded, if our family schedule and all of the things we wanted to accomplish as a family failed or, failed or succeeded. It's not going to matter ultimately if we got to take that, that, that trip of a lifetime that we always wanted to, to go to, that we always wanted to take, that we always wanted to enjoy. Not going to matter. Ultimately, it's not going to matter if we ever have that dream home that we always wanted, if we have that dream vehicle that we always wanted. It's not going to matter. What will matter ultimately, talked about this one in Sunday school, is have we been born again? Are we truly saved? And in the life of the believer, what should ultimately matter is, is my life a living sacrifice? Is my life a life of thankfulness? Is God pleased? Is my mind and my life set on things above? That will be what matters. And that ought to be what matters now. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Each and every day we can remind ourselves of the hope that we have that when Christ returns, we will be gathered with Him. We will not be the recipients of God's wrath. We will be the recipients of God's full salvation. The fullness of our redemption will be realized. 
and we will reign with Christ forever. Amen. We have been saved. The life that we now live is hidden in Christ. The life, the life that we now live is Christ living within us. And we have the blessed hope when He returns in the future that we will be gathered with Him. When He appears, we will also appear with Him in glory. So look up. Secondly, look in. Put simply, this section is going to revolve around Killing sin. Now all three of these could be sermons in and of themselves. But y'all know me enough by now. I've got a really bad habit. I'll preach three sermons in one. I'll preach two sermons in one. Sometimes if you're really lucky. I'll try to cram like six or seven points in there. That each of them could stand on their own. But when it comes to killing sin. This is something that. And maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm missing something. I'll throw that out there. But it seems to me. That killing sin, hating sin, is not something that gets preached on or talked about all too often. In Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5 now, Paul says this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put simply, kill sin. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. How foolish. How foolish it is for someone who say, who someone who is able to say, I have been freed from sin. I have been freed from the bondage of sin through the person and the perfect work of Jesus Christ. I think I'll go back and live in my sin and obey sin. I have been freed from sin. I have been freed from the wrath of God. But let me now go and turn back and do those things with, which deserve the wrath of God, which I have been freed from. I think we would all agree that's foolish. And that's sinful. Just as foolish as the children of Israel, the Hebrews, after they were brought out of the land of Egypt, told Moses, We'll just go back there. They had leeks and melons there. We want to go back there. Did you bring us out here to die? Let's go back into bondage. And just as we would read that account in Exodus and say, Oh foolish Israelites, why would you ever want to go back to Egypt where you were in bondage? We do the same today. When as a believer, as someone who says, I have been saved. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. When we go back and we choose the things of this world. When we choose impurity. When we choose sensuality. When we choose immorality. When we choose covetousness. When we live in those sins. When we live out those characteristics. Those things that we have been freed from. Those things that deserve the wrath of God. And we as children of God. We say we have been set free. There is no condemnation. 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I will not taste the wrath of God. We ought to rejoice and say, my life is His. I've been set free from it. I will never go back and live in those things. They deserve the wrath of God. And yet, at times, we find ourselves being tempted by and choosing the very things that deserve the wrath of God. In the ways in which we once walked. There's a distinction there. As a Christian, we ought to be able to say, there is a path in which I used to walk. And there is a path which now, by the grace of God, I walk. And we should fight. Fight. Using the strength and the power that God gives us through His Spirit, fight to kill that sin that used to control us and hold us in bondage. Rather than longing for it and thinking, things were better then. I kind of miss those days. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Now that first list there, that's one of those lists. If you've been coming on Wednesday nights, you probably know where I'm going with this. But that first list there, though that's one of the lists that Paul puts out there that we say, oh yeah, those are the really, really bad things. So, whoo, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, desire, and co- evil desire and covetousness. Oh yeah. Put those things away. Anger. In our daily lives, are we we fighting to kill anger? Wrath. Malice. Slander. Before we open our mouths to talk to somebody else about somebody who's not there in that conversation... And we're saying things about them that we're really hoping that other person hears and and starts to think less of that other individual. Before we open our mouth and speak those things, should we not rather remind ourselves that slander is a sin that deserves the wrath of a holy God? And we probably need to keep our mouth shut. Do we hate that sin? Obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Remember, you have died. Your life is now hidden in Christ. We've put off the old self and we're putting on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Each and every one of us would do very well to resolve to kill sin in 2023. As an individual, as a family, as a church family, that we would have a healthy and holy hatred of sin and seek to put it to death. Freed from the bondage of sin, which means that we don't have to obey sin and its passions any longer. We've been set free. Now, each and every one of us, if we were totally honest and we went around this church and said, what is what are some of the sins you struggle with most? 
Some may say, well, I'm, I am short-tempered. I struggle with my anger. I struggle with my temper. Some may say, I, I just struggle to be content. Every day I, I, I see something that, that I think to myself, I wish I had that. If I had that, I'd be happier. Or, or I say to myself, how come they get to have that? And me and my family, we don't have it. I'm just discontented. I'm jealous. I covet things. Some of us would say, well, you know what? I just struggle sometimes with thinking that if I would have made some different decisions in my younger days, I would have a better life now. And I'm just living a life right now that I just feel like, you know what? I'm making the best of it, but I'm stuck with some of the decisions that I made when I was younger. And yes, I I struggle. There are days where I think if I had only went that way instead of that way, things would be better now. We would hear different answers. We would hear various viewpoints and various life experiences. But what we've got to understand is whatever sins you struggle with, And you may have been struggling with them for years and years, your entire life even. Put it to death. No longer find it acceptable to say, well, you know what? I've just been struggling with with this for years. This is just who I am. I struggle with it. I try to fix it at times, but this is just who I am. And I guess this is just how God made me. Don't... Don't accept that answer, not even from yourself anymore. Kill sin. If it's sinful, there's no excuse for it. Unless you think, oh, well, Caleb's up there preaching to us and he's he's free from the repercussions of his own preaching because it, no, 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 this is to Caleb too. And Caleb's not perfect in this. But if we know If our eyes have been opened to something in our lives where we say, that's a sin, kill it. John Owen, I believe, is the one who said this. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. As a believer, if we claim to be the children of God, if we claim to be born again, risen with Christ, go back to what we said earlier, what Paul said earlier, you have died, we have put off the old self, we're putting on the new self that is being renewed in the knowledge, or being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, for those who are truly saved, God will accomplish the work of sanctification. And at times, sanctification hurts. Sanctification is hard in a good way. Because we know that the results of sanctification are what? We are being formed into the image of Christ. So you say, well, that's just me. That's just who I am. I've been trying to fix this for years, but it's just who I am. No. 
Who you are as a child of God, who you are as a Christian, is someone who is being formed into the image of Christ. Let that be your motivation to kill sin. Not only have you been saved, but God is forming you into the image of Christ His Son. So that we we will be presented holy and blameless before Him in glory. And then in verse 11, Paul simply says, Here, in Christ, here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, skidian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. So look up, look in, look around. Praise God that God does not save us as an individual and then leave us to figure things out, nor does He leave us to live the Christian life alone. He gives us brothers and sisters to worship with, to fight with, not with one another, to fight the fight of faith with. Don't take that the wrong way. Some of y'all looked at me. Hey, at least I know you're awake. The way that most people operate, we would think that, hey, God wants us to fight with one another. But that's not what we're talking about. To fight the fight of faith alongside of, that's a better way to say it, to serve one another, to grow and mature with one another. Because here's the thing. There's going to be some people within the body of believers that guess what? They've already been matured. They've already been sanctified. They're a little bit stronger spiritually than some people that might be over here. They may be new believers or they might be people who've been claiming to be believers for years, but they've never really been challenged to grow up and to mature. And so these who are over here that are mature, when these are struggling, when they, when they start to go through something, they think, oh, is God punishing me? Is God upset with me? Those who are mature would say, no, it's not that God is angry or punishing you. Unless there's unrepentant sin. But it's that God is shaping you. That God is sanctifying you. Don't you know that we are to rejoice when trial and tribulations come? Don't you know that we are able to rejoice even in suffering? Not only in the good times. Don't worry that God has forgotten you. God is for you. And then that child who is weak in the faith is strengthened and reminded. Yes, that's right. God has not only saved me, He's not going to leave me alone. God's going to sustain to the end. God is going to sanctify. God is going to mold even me into the image of Christ. And praise God for these brothers and sisters that have come alongside of me and strengthened my faith when my faith was weak. Through Christ we are all one and we are one body. So we are to look around. Now, there's going to be some overlap between look in and look around, right? Because we're not meant to live the Christian life alone. Therefore, when we look around, we're automatically bringing ourselves into this beautiful picture of the body of Christ. So look around. Kill sin still applies. When we look at our church family, when we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, we should all be zealous and eager to kill sin and put sin away. But let's pick it back up in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And just full stop right there. (laughs) 
all of this, everything that we've discussed up to this point and everything as we finish this little section here. All of this ultimately points back to set your minds on things above. The life that we now live is hidden in Christ. It's not us. It's Christ that lives within us. But if we claim to be Christian, if we claim to be the recipients of God's grace and mercy, then everything about our lives ought to have been and ought to be being transformed and renewed based upon that truth. Based upon God's grace and mercy. Everything about our lives ought to be different than the way that it was before. Ought to be transformed from the way that it was before. And ought to be being transformed and being renewed still each and every day. So in this, Paul here is, is shifting. He's talking about how we operate together. But he says, as God's chosen ones. Consider that. Chosen ones. Holy and beloved God looks down upon sinful man and says, those are my beloved. Those are mine. I am choosing to make sinful man my possession. Mine. And if any of us as an individual can say, I am confident that Christ has saved me, that I am a child of God. Then understand it was the grace and the mercy of God to call you His chosen, His precious, His own, His possession. That God would look upon any sinful man and say, mine, I'm going to save him ought to humble each and every one of us and bring us to our knees in worship and adoration at the mercy and grace of a holy God. Because what does sinful man deserve from a holy God? Judgment and death. As believers, what have we received from a holy God? Mercy, grace, forgiveness, love. Chosen. Holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. If a holy God can look upon sinful man and put his steadfast love upon them, then we as man ought to be able to look at our fellow man, especially our brethren, namely specifically our brethren, and say, if God considers you chosen, beloved, precious, and if God has set his love upon you, and you are my brother or sister in the faith, then my love is set upon you as well. Any bitterness or unforgiveness needs to be forgiven. Any hatred or spite or malice or ill intent or anything like that, kill sin, needs to be done away with. 
How ought we to be one towards another? We ought to have compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. We ought to bear with one another. And if we do have a complaint against another, forgive even as Christ has forgiven you. And above all of this, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. As believers, we're recipients of grace and mercy and we know that God's steadfast love has been placed upon us through the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. If we are the recipients of God's eternal love, then if we are brothers and sisters in Christ, a part of the body of Christ together, then how ought we to love one another? With a Christ-like, God-honoring love. Anything less than that should be considered unacceptable. Anything less than that should be considered sinful. And what should we desire to do to sin? Kill it and put it away. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Any disagreement, any argument, any bickering, any whatever that could possibly happen between brothers and sisters in Christ can be squashed and pales in comparison when brought under the light of the truth that, hey, all right, Christ has died for us. God has set His steadfast love upon us. We are called to be united in love. We are called to be at peace with one another. The peace of Christ should rule over us, should rule within us. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. So because all of those things are true, is this argument, is this disagreement, is this whatever it is, is this worth disrupting the peace and the love and the unity of God's children in Jesus Christ? Is it worth it? And no matter what we could come up with, the answer is always going to be no. The answer is always going to be no. If it is something that is simply from the hearts of man, just a disagreement or whatever else, the solution would be, hey, Whatever sin is going on here, whatever is the root issue of why you are arguing, why you're bickering, why we can't get along right now, kill the sin, forgive one another, ask God for forgiveness, and let's get back to being united, to loving one another, to being being at peace with one another. Let's be bound in the bonds of peace, and let's rejoice and worship together. That ought to be the solution to whatever disagreements or whatever kerfuffles Arise within a church body. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called. In one body. And then Paul says this. And this is going to sound so simplistic. And it is. But for the Christian. It's simplistic, but the longer you ponder it, it is so profound that you will not be able to plunge the full depths of this exhortation because of the truths that we acknowledge and we cling to as believers. Paul says, and be thankful. 
Be thankful. Any times that we find ourselves discontented, any times that we find ourselves saying that maybe we wish there was more, or you know, in today's world, it's not uncommon at all for a family to say, you know what, we've been going to such and such a church for a while now, but I just feel like, you know, maybe a different church is a better fit for our family. You know, I just don't feel like, I don't feel like things here are really working for my family here at this church. Maybe it's just time to find another church and maybe it's time to try something different and everything else. But then if you get into why people argue amongst one another in the church, why churches can't seem to agree on things, why churches are discontented within themselves, within the body, why there's not a love and a compassion among the church members one towards another. A lot of that could probably be traced back to the fact that at the end of the day, we're not a grateful people. And here's what I mean by that. We don't yet fully understand what it is to truly be thankful that God has saved wretched sinners like us. And that in order to save us, He crushed His own Son. He didn't punish us. He poured out His wrath upon His Son. Who took upon flesh and laid down that life on our behalf. Taking the wrath of God upon himself. So that we would never have to taste the wrath of a holy God. You say, Caleb, you've said that two or three times this sermon. And you say that a lot in many of your sermons. Why is that such a big deal to you? Because that's the biggest of deals that there is. When we say that we are saved, we are claiming that God chose to crush His Son in our place so that we would not have to taste His wrath, which is what we deserve in the first place. Not only will we not have to taste His wrath, but we're going to be with Him and reign and reign with Christ forever. We're going to be in glory forever. Eternal life when what we deserve is death. When we don't take time to consider that each and every day by setting our hearts and minds on things above, when we don't take time to ponder that each and every day, we're going to stop being as thankful as we ought to be to, uh, towards that truth. And here's the thing. When we understand that all we deserve is death, but what we have been given is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Son, whatever problems that arise on earth, we can view them for what they really are, small potatoes. And when we are grateful and we are thankful for that which God has given us through Jesus Christ, namely here in these passages that we're supposed to have the peace of Christ, that we are to put on compassionate hearts, that we are to love one another. When we are truly thankful for salvation and when we are truly thankful that God has given us brothers and sisters in Christ that make up the body of Christ, when we are truly thankful for that, we'll fight. To keep it unstained from sin. And we'll fight to keep it 
unstained from the problems and the cares of this world. Because we are thankful for what God has given us. And we want to keep that and honor that and be obedient to that in ways that God has said to do so. Whenever we complain, whenever we bicker, whenever we argue, I can guarantee you that in that moment we are not being thankful and grateful for what God has given us through Jesus Christ's Son. So Paul says here, so simple, and be thankful. Do not murmur against the hand of God. And if God is sovereign, which He is, then everything in your life, even that which you are complaining about or even that which you are tempted to complain about is there for a God-given purpose and for us to complain against it, for us to whine against it, for us to murmur about it, is to murmur against the sovereign hand of God. And you cannot murmur against God and be thankful for His good and gracious gifts at the same time. To use Israel as an example once more, just as foolish as Israel was, When they were in the wilderness, they had their manna and they had the audacity to say, we're tired of this manna. Literally, this bread that God is giving us miraculously, we're tired of it. We want something else to eat. And it's really easy for us, if we were to read that passage from Exodus, it's really easy for us to say, oh, those Israelites were something else. They literally have bread from heaven and they're complaining that they want something else to eat. God is literally miraculously sustaining their lives and they're going to complain and say that they want something different. Oh wait. We're just as foolish and we're just as sinful when we do that today. God, you've given us salvation. You've given us these brothers and sisters in Christ to worship alongside of, but we just we want something else. Can you do something different for us? Can you give us something else? Can you give us something new? Be thankful. What God has given us through Jesus Christ is something that is eternal and it is unchanging. Therefore, our thankfulness and our gratefulness ought to be eternal and unchanging. Lastly, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Which, as I said earlier, takes us right back to where we started. Set your minds on things above. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, whatever you do, do it for the name, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Which means be intentional. Everything you do with a mind that is set on things above, everything we do ought to be for His glory and His honor. Look up. Let us set our our hearts and minds on things above. And look in. If we claim to be saved, if we claim to be the children of God, then we should hate sin. We should want to kill sin. Look in. Is there any wicked way within us? Is there any sins that we've just been tolerating? We've just been allowing them to lay dormant. Because they're not really dormant, but in our heads, well, they're just there, but we don't know what to do. Kill it. 
Put it away. You must. And look around. As we interact with one another, as we interact with the world out there, but chiefly as we interact with one another as the body of Christ, compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, gentleness, bearing with one another in love. Let the peace of Christ rule over us, dwell with us under the, under the peace of Christ. And be thankful. I believe everything that we've talked about today. Especially if we're not already in the habit of doing so. Everything we've talked about today is definitely worth making a New Year's resolution for. To set our minds upon Him daily. To kill sin daily. To have a compassionate heart and love others and seek to grow the body of Christ and to love the body of Christ and to have peace and unity and love within the body of Christ. That's worth fighting for. And being thankful each and every day. And any areas that we have been falling short in any of that, if we're not already implementing those things, we ought to repent and ask God to forgive us. And we know that He is faithful and just to forgive and we rejoice in that. That even if yesterday and the day before and the, and the past few years we've been falling short in these areas, praise God that through Jesus Christ and through His Spirit's work within us, that from this day forward, we can walk in newness of life. We can put on that new man and seek to honor and be obedient to Him from this day forward and worship Him as we ought to worship Him from this day forward. So, a few thoughts there from Colossians chapter 3. Probably one of the only three-point sermons you'll ever hear me preach. But I appreciate you. As always, y'all listen well. Um, I know, I know I joke about it a lot, but in sincerity, I know my sermons aren't short. They're not brief, but you guys do well. I can tell that you listen. Uh, many of you, you're either listening and, you, and you're really thinking about it and writing down notes, or you're just really, really good at faking it. I don't think you're faking it. So I'm thankful for that. And I appreciate you listening and feeding from the word. And I pray that God will be glorified through it all. Let's close in a word of prayer.